We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. I um, spent a few years working in doing a children's work, children's ministry on a Sunday morning. And one of my favourite topics to talk about was... Um, <laughs> One of our favourite topics to talk about was heroes of the faith. And uh, these are lists of people that we find like in Hebrews chapter 11 and other places in the Bible. And one of the things I liked about heroes of the faith was that we always observed was they had so many questions and doubts. And if you think about some of them, like Abraham, for instance, you know, a great hero of the faith, but when God spoke to him and said, you're going to have a son who's going to be your heir and all these amazing things are going to happen, Abraham said... Are you really going to do this? I'm, I'm 100 years old. Will Sarah really have a child at 90? And he laughed about what God had said to him. This is how he started off. There's Gideon. A lot of us know that story. Who tested God th- three times. He asked God to pass three tests before he would really believe that he was the person that was called. And, and still questioned it. How can I save Israel? Why is all this happening if you're with us? These are the questions that hero of the faith asked. I love the way the NIV says, he says, pardon me, God to like this, very polite he was, Gideon, most polite man in the Bible, pardon me my lord. Um, King David, we're very familiar with a lot of his psalms, you know, a great, great man of faith, but yet wrestled all the time with God, wrote things like, why have you rejected me? Why are you hiding from me? You know, I call to you and you don't answer. And then You might remember um, David Cassidy when he came last summer, he gave a talk and during that talk he mentioned about the disciples at the end of the uh, Gospel of Matthew, they've been with Jesus uh, for for his three years of ministry, they'd seen him killed, they'd seen him raised from the dead and then says in the Bible that he spent, he appeared to them during 40 days giving them many convincing um, proofs that he was alive and then they see him ascend into heaven, and yet there were some there, it says, who doubted. Despite all of that. If you want some more modern examples, Mother Teresa, after she died, a great Christian lady, yet in her diaries, she wrote about this darkness that was inside her, this kind of sense that maybe God was not in her at all. And even the great Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who um, said on the radio that sometimes he wonders, is there a God? All these people that go through this doubt and questioning. And I want to suggest to you, um, well, I want to say to you that, I mean, faith is not a binary process. It's not a kind of, you flick a light switch on and all, I've got 100% faith, and you switch it off and I've got no faith. Faith is a, is a journey. It's a kind of a, a wrestling all the time with these questions and doubts. And if you've got questions and doubts yourself, as I often have, then we are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. So be encouraged because I want to suggest to you that questions and doubts are an essential part of faith and hopefully you're going to understand why in the next five minutes. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, the verse we all know. Faith means being sure of things that we hope for and faith means knowing that that something is real even if we can't see it. So... Faith needs something to be lacking in order for it to operate. It needs something to not be there in order for us to have it. Because if everything was clear and visible, we wouldn't need faith, 
Woodbury stands to reason. So faith operates in this environment of doubt and questions, and that's when we need to look to God, who we sung about this morning, the waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. So that's the realm in which faith operates, the realm of uncertainty. Okay. Now, there are two words. I have to give you a bit of Greek. So uh, New Testament, there's two words for doubt in the New Testament. The first word, distazo, I'm probably not saying it right, but uh, does anybody know any better? You can tell me. (laughs) Distazo is when when Jesus, when Peter's walking on the water, out to Jesus, and he starts to sink, wondering, and and Jesus says to Peter, why do you doubt? That word distazo is what's being used there. And it means a kind of wavering or hesitating, to, to have second thoughts about something. And then the other word that's used is the more common word in the New Testament, diacrino, which um, is when we're told to believe and not doubt when you ask for things and when we're told by Jesus to have faith and do not doubt and then this mountain could be hurled into the sea. And that doubt is really um, where a real decision, a judgment has been made to say against something, sort of discriminate against something and, and, and step away from it and withdraw from something. Now I'm sure, just to illustrate this point, if you've ever been to a theme park or something like that, you've been in the situation that I've been in where you're sitting on maybe a roller coaster or one, a ride that is very spinny or you know, goes very fast and you sit there as it pulls off and starts to go down the first fast uh, dip thinking, should I have got on this ride? You know? Or maybe you think to yourself, should I have just had my lunch before I got on this ride? Which I've certainly been in that position. Now, we had, um, when, when our son, our oldest son, Tom, was 11, uh, they, um, I think, we think Jacob came as well. Uh, we were going to Thorpe Park, to the theme park in Thorpe Park. And all they wanted to go on was this ride called Stealth, which is uh, it's, it's, it's marketed as the fastest roller coaster in the UK with the acceleration of two Formula One cars, not to 80 miles an hour, in under two seconds. And they were very excited to go to this ride. All we heard about was, was Stealth. When we get there, we're going to go on Stealth. And uh, so we got to Thorpe Park and we went in through the gates. We looked on the map. We found where Stealth was and we went straight there. And we looked up at it like that. And all of a sudden, the idea of going on Stealth didn't seem quite so (laughs) popular. And we did go on quite a lot of children's rides that day. (laughs) The radio-controlled boats, all that kind of thing, you know, all the same stuff. So the the difference between these these two doubts is... You know, the first doubt is, I'm on the ride, but I'm not, I'm not sure whether but I'm on it anyway. It's going. I can't get off. I'm on it. And even though I feel like my lunch is going, I'm going to see my lunch again. Um, I'm there, and I'm with it. The second doubt is, I'm not even joining the queue for that ride. I'm going to go on the radio-controlled boats. Now, when, when we're told not to doubt, what we're being told is, the second one, right, we're being told, don't make a judgment about something and decide not to do it because of your doubt. Don't bring your doubt to life. And I would suggest to you that when it says in the Bible that faith without action is dead, that doubt without action is also dead, except we want doubt to be dead. As soon as we allow our doubt to give us, to come to life by taking action, then we're, we're doing something that, that we're not, is not really healthy for us to do. So, I've got another example for you. 
you know, what do we do about it? How do we stop our, our, our doubts and questions and things coming to life? Well, I like to swim, not a lot, but um, you know, I go to the swimming pool. And when I go to the swimming pool, or when you go to the swimming pool, I don't suppose that you stand at the side of the pool and make swimming motions like this. Or, or we go, go to France quite a lot, and then the French people love to talk and debate about life and politics and everything. And very often you see, might see two French people standing in the pool at one end of it, talking, talking, talking about whatever they're talking about. And, uh, and you can do like 20 lengths or something and they'll still be standing there talking and debating. And what's the point in standing there just getting cold? So the idea of the swimming pool, where you get the benefits, is actually swimming. Right? If you go for health reasons, you actually need to swim. And I would say that faith is a bit like swimming, a bit like... Dory taught us, if you're familiar with the film, in the, uh, um, what is it, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, she said, you know. Swimming, faith is like swimming, and our questions and doubts are like the water, that we need some resistance. Faith needs something to kind of push against, to make it strong, okay? And so when we, when we allow our questions and our doubts to kind of come to the surface, we talk about them, we share them with people, we allow the body to kind of help us with them and what we're really doing is swimming through them and we're, and we're, making, we're keeping them dead and we're not bringing them to life. Uh, Hilton last week was talking about the parable of the talents where uh, the, the wicked lazy servant buried his talent in the ground because he didn't see eye to eye with his master and if we allow our doubts to stop us acting in faith, if we allow our questions to, to stop us acting in faith, what we're, we're doing like that, we're, we're burying our talents, we're burying our faith. Hilton said that you know faith was one of those things. So we need to allow our faith to be dug up and we need to uh, enable our questions and doubts just to see the light of day and then we can make sure they're dead by exercising faith over them. So my summary is this, that we need to learn to overcome doubts and questions. What we don't do is give them life by deciding I'm not going to do that. But we don't suppress them and, and hide them or ignore them either, but we let them come to the surface, we share them with one another, we help one another when we swim together through them, and then we learn more and more that we can trust the God who is our way maker and miracle worker. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. I'm just going to share what God has been um, speaking to me over the past, uh, past weeks. Uh, I've just been reading... I've just been reading John, um, so I just want to share from John 15, verse 4 to 5. Uh, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear much fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in, and I in you, you bear much fruit. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, as I was just reading this um, this verse uh, this whole week, and uh, God has just been uh, speaking to me about uh, remaining in Christ, like submitting everything to Him, um, surrendering everything to Him, our lives and everything, and by surrendering every area of our lives to Him, we are actually giving Him room to uh, use us and also help us to, to bear fruits. So by submitting everything to him, we're actually um, taking on the DNA of uh, Jesus Christ. And we are letting 
Jesus Christ to just flow through us. And we will thereby be able to produce fruits. These are like uh, fruits uh, including genuine love, uh, including uh, accepting each other, including uh, even uh, uh, discipling new believers and also sharing the gospel. So um, I just want... I just want I just want to uh, encourage everyone of us to just uh, submit our whole lives to Jesus, every area of our life to Jesus. Um, uh, I was just thinking about uh, I think this Jess. She actually came um, last week on Sunday here and gave a testimony about uh, praying for someone who had pain in her ear. That shows that. Uh, she actually heard from Jesus. That is part of bearing fruits, not because of her own efforts, but because she has got that relationship with Jesus. So she is able to hear from him. And also, uh, Tanya also, uh, I think Jamie spoke about Tanya, uh, praying for someone in the pub. And um, that is also part of bearing, bearing fruits. And it's also like hearing Jesus, and then you get to bear fruits. Uh, I thought about Jason Tanya, just taking the step of uh, praying for someone. It also uh, it made them uh, vulnerable as well, and uh, they were willing to embrace that because they knew that Jesus was with them. Um, I thought of X X five. Um, it just talks about um, when the apostles. They were arrested by the high priest, and um, after they were arrested, the angel of the Lord just came and uh, it released them from prison. And after that, they went and started to preach the gospel. They just preached the gospel, and um, they were arrested again. And after that, they were flogged. They were flogged, and uh, they were flogged, and actually uh, released. But they, but they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for Jesus. So I want to encourage, uh, like, everyone here that uh, whenever we, whenever we, whenever we step out with Jesus, we have to know that He is our protector. He, He is with us in everything that we are going to do. We have to go with Him. Not just uh, doing things on our own, um, and also uh, nowadays there's a, a different types of persecution uh, compared to the time of um, Peter, John, and others. Uh, those days they were beaten and everything, but nowadays uh, when you when you are bearing fruits and Jesus is um, sort of uh, uh, making you uh, impact everywhere that you are. Like uh, at work, uh, if you're at school, people will do like different kinds of things. People will accuse you. People will start to uh, isolate themselves from you. That is also evidence that uh, Jesus is actually living in you. Because what did Jesus do when Jesus used to impact every area of his life. Every people who, 
like everyone who was uh, around him used to impact everyone. And I remember there was a time that I, uh, when I was born again, uh, I started to just read the Bible and just pray. And I, this, uh, there was this guy who used, to, who used to live in our uh, neighborhood. He was into drugs and all sorts and all different kind of things. And um, I remember just hearing from God and, and God was just saying, go and, uh, and just share the word with that person. So I went and I shared, and I shared the word and I started to uh, get uh, to know him. And, but then uh, I was uh, accused of uh, teaching that person how to do drugs. So everyone was like, oh, so Lance is actually teaching people how to do drugs. And I remember uh, his mom came and was like, uh, you are teaching uh, my son to do drugs. And uh, I, just, I just cried and I cried to God and I said, but I'm actually, but I, but I actually heard from you, God, but now I'm being uh, uh, accused of, of like teaching this person to do drugs. And I remember just feeling peace, like Jesus was with me. Jesus was in control. So whatever uh, Jesus tells you to do, you have to know that Jesus is in control. He is our protector. And, and, there, and there will always be a reason for whatever that happens because Jesus is with us. Um, I just want to read uh, Luke 6 from 22 to 23. It says, Blessed are, you, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and live for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So I just want to encourage you that um, Jesus is with us. His presence is uh, with us everywhere that we go. And if we abide in him, if, if we remain in him and surrender everything to him, he is in control and we are able to bear fruits because we will be in him. Um, I just want to conclude by uh, just saying something. Uh, how can we abide or, or remain in Christ? Um, I just have uh, three things. Connection, the branch is connected to the vine and the vine to the branch joined with Christ. We acknowledge that the, the, the branch alone cannot survive. We have to keep ourselves connected to Christ, surrender everything to Christ. He is, he, he is the vine and we are the branch. So if we keep ourselves connected to Christ, he will, he will lead us and he will protect us. Um, you know, dependence, uh, number two, I'm just gonna, um, uh, the, the branch is relying and uh, dependent on the vine, but the vine is not dependent on the branch. Without the vine, the branch doesn't have life. We have to uh, be dependent on Jesus Christ and realize every time that we cannot do anything if we are outside Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything. But if we are in Jesus, we have to keep on depending the, the decisions that we make, everything that we do, we have to keep on 
depending depending on him. We shouldn't get to that stage of feeling like, oh, okay, I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need Jesus regarding this. But in every area of our life, no matter how small uh, that thing may look, we have to keep on depending and depending and depending on Jesus. Um, the third thing is um, continuation. We continue trusting and depending on him regarding every area of our life. So it has to be that continuation, continuation of trusting and uh, depending on him and staying connected to him. So um, thank you very much. Um, last summer, I was uh, out um, on my way to the gym. And it was, because it was summer, I had my shorts on. And um, I fell over, um, stumbled, twisted my foot. And I got up, and I had two, my, both my knees were grazed and bleeding quite badly. And uh, I looked, and I, took, I had a lot of flashbacks when I was in primary school, when I used to wear shorts. It was like a, a schoolboy graze. And uh, so I went home. Um, back home, because I thought, I can't go to the gym like this, I need to get this sorted. Walked into the house, and Elise was still living at, with the living with this, and um, Sue was there as well, and they both looked at me, and uh, expecting a bit of sympathy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what they said was, did anybody see ya? <laughs> and, and this whole thing of, of, of were you shamed? Were you shamed? Because this whole thing of, 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 that we live with nowadays, where we do things and they make us feel, the last thing you must do is be ashamed. And there's even this whole thing on, um, on the internet, I mean, Caroline Flack, I mean, I don't know, we only see what the media tell us, but this shaming of people. And I think that, that shame is it's something which is in our society, but it's also something I think we can live in, live under which affects the way that we are. It can affect our relationships with one another. It can reflect the way we feel in our relationship with God. And um, I was listening to a song the other day, and, and the song said, bring your guilt and bring your shame. And it got me thinking, well, what's the difference between feeling guilty and feeling shameful? And, and how do we bring two, two together? And then God took me to um, this verse in... Um, I've got this, haven't I? Um, Psalm 139. These verses in 13 to 18. It says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life I was recorded in your book. Every moment I was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. And it's interesting, those last verses, different versions um, sometimes make it sound like it's our thoughts about God being precious. But the general, and it, there is some debate, but the context really suggests it's God who feels precious about us and he has very pre precious thoughts about us. Now, guilt is the consequence of a single action. Um, and if I go out and steal a car, I might feel guilty. 
um, but I can actually repent and I can deal with that guilt. Um, we actually, no, I won't, I'll save that story. And then, uh, <laughs> the story when I stole a car, but uh, you can have to ask me about that one later. <laughs> um, and, um, and the other one is, it, but shame is something else. It's, it's kind of means we live in a constant state of feeling useless and worthless, that, 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 you know, I'm not really good enough. And when we feel shameful, it can cause us to push other people away. Um, in Genesis 3, verse 10, it says that after they'd eaten, Adam had eaten of the apple, he hid from God because he knew that he was naked. He felt shameful. Um, we keep secrets because why would people want to know about us? And if they did, they'd, what they hear probably wouldn't be very acceptable. Um, we can get addictive habits, I mean, escape into things, um, because it distracts us from the way we feel about ourselves. And someone can live in fear because bad things happen to bad people. Um, it's a very short, just about one and a half minutes, a video, which is kind of a, 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 a world perspective on... Um, can you make that work for me? in the world is also one of the most invisible because by its nature it asks to be hidden and saps our ability to spot its symptoms but to generalize grossly few things so undermine human well-being as the sickness of shame the guilty feel bad for something specific they have done the shamed feel wretched simply for being the affliction lacks borders as shamed people we don't connect the myriad ways in which our behavior and feelings are driven by a base conviction of our own abhorrence. We just take it as a given that we are disgusting. We lack the capacity to imagine that our shame has a history and therefore, perhaps, a future that could be curtailed. The first step in untangling ourselves is to get enough distance to spot and name the problem. We might make use of a little questionnaire. Out of 10, Rate how true the following statements feel. I don't deserve to exist. I am defective. I am unworthy of being known and loved. I am a mistake. I deserve to be abandoned. I should not be. Anything over an eight. Okay, we'll stop that shot there. So that, that is kind of a, a perspective that the... Um, the world has on that. Now, his solution to this problem is that what you then do is you recognise that everybody else is as bad as you. And uh, we're all in the same situation, so we can just laugh about it. God has a different solution. Um, I don't deserve to exist. I am defective. I am unworthy of being known. You made all the delicate parts, inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. I'm unworthy of being known and loved. I'm a mistake. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I deserve to be abandoned. I should not be. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when you awake up, 
you are still with me. That's the truth about who we are in God. And, and that is the counter-truth to the lies that sometimes get whispered into us about who we, who, who, who we might be, who, who we, how we might feel about ourselves. The truth is God's truth about us. He was there. He made us. He knew every single part of us. Um, and he's there for us. His love is overwhelming. One of the things that's interesting, um, one that we've got Georgia to do a testimony, because God pursued Georgia. You know, this whole psalm is about God pursuing us. Where can I go? I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. When I was reading this psalm, I always used to think about it. You know, I can't hide from God because he's always, he's always looking out for me. He's going to spot it when I sin. Actually, what it's saying is he loves me so much, it doesn't matter where I go, even if I run away from him, he will pursue me because he wants me to know his love. And, and, and we see it. You know, there are other testimonies. Some of those people that are standing up have testimonies like that. Um, about Sharon, but Sharon, who she was with us 20 years ago, and um, suddenly somebody um, outside suggested she went to this club in this wonderful community centre in Bennett's Castle. And she's sitting down there, and she's sitting in there, and she looks around. I know these people. This is Lifeline. Um, there's the girl that um, recently that started Alpha. Um, I won't put a name on her just now, but she, she, she cried out to God. She lives in the middle of central London. God, you know, I'm looking for you again. Middle of central London. On the same day, she bumps into Rhodey Ackerman and, uh, and then finds us up and says, can she do Alpha? God pursues us. God is so much loves us that he comes after us. And, and, and there's story after story. And you need to get some of these stories of what God's doing amongst us. Um, let's not, not read that, those little bits. I can never escape from your, your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to, up to heaven, you are there. If I go down the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to me, to you. So how do we respond to this? The person that decides whether I'm unworthy is not me. And it's not the lies or the things around us. It's God that would decide. He's the ultimate judge. And um, it's interesting, the psalmist's response is, Oh God, if you would destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. You enemies misuse my name. His, the way I see that is what the enemy, what he's saying is, is that statement, get out of my life, you murderers. You voices that would whisper to me against what God is saying, that I, he loves me, that he's with me. Those voices that would say I am not worthy, that I'm a mistake. Get out of my life. Get away. You do things which masquerade even as God, blaspheme. It means they're pretending to be God. Get out of my life. And then I come to God and say, God, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You come and show me, God. You come and show me why I'm unworthy. Point out anything, anything in me that offends you. But then, because of what Jesus has done, he deals with it and it leads us into life. 
So any sense of unworthiness we feel before God takes us into life, not into death or to despair. And in God, there's a freedom. We're talking about the presence of God, and I'm just going to ask um, Georgia <laughs> to sing this song. Freedom comes whenever you run and overflows wherever you go, and peaceful fall wherever you dance because of your great love. And I will sing your holy name, and I will shout your faithful name, and I will rest in your unchanging name. Your life touches every darkest life. Your hope fills every hopeless soul. Your peace stills every restless mind. Your love heals every broken heart. The antidote to despair or to, um, to shame is not the sense that everybody else is the same. The antidote is to realise who God, what God feels about me. And a bit like David was saying, really, we kind of expose the doubts and we put them to death. And in their place, we embrace God's word and God's heart and God's truth for who we are. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.